Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Welcome to the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. Presented by Michelob Ultra. Locally distributed by United Beverage of South Bend. Michelob Ultra. Superior light beer. Don't compromise. Also sponsored by Bill's Heating of Goshen since 1951. For all your heating, cooling, and plumbing. Also by Pet Refuge, Leck Leitner Door, Sherwood Tire, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, your local Edward Jones financial advisors, Edward Jones, making sense of investing, member SIPC, and OSMC, the Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Center. And now, the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. We welcome you to the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT on this Saturday morning. Hopefully you're getting ready to go out and play a little golf. We'll get you kick-started with a little golf conversation brought to you by Mick Ultra here on WSBT Radio. My name is Darren Pritchett. I'm joined by John Foster, the former general manager at Warren Golf Course at Notre Dame. Tim Firestone from Blackthorn is on assignment this week, so hopefully we will talk to him next week so john you're a couple of weeks into retirement are you enjoying it and how many times have you swung uh, a club okay so uh yes and no i've i really have enjoyed it we've been so busy trying to sell a house here and buy a house in south carolina and you know when you sell your house you actually got to kind of fix all those little things there that that you haven't really noticed over the years i've been there in that in the one house about 16 years you walk by this stuff until you think about oh somebody's gonna be walking through this house they're probably not gonna like that hole in the wall there i probably should do something so seriously i've been so busy getting that prepared and then packing stuff up i have not touched a golf club darren since early january in florida but like you mentioned in the intro i am going to play golf in about an hour after we wrap up here with a bunch of priests who were nice enough to uh take my wife and I to dinner last night. Now they want to play golf and I am panicking because <laughs> there's this, there's this expectation falsely. So that because I was a golf professional, it means that I can really play golf really well. And and so I'm going to dispel that uh, unless there's some heavy praying going on on, on oh. my behalf. And I doubt it because most of the guys I'm going to be betting against. So I've got two things working against me, <laughs> lack of, Lack of practice, and the big guy's probably going to be, you know, rooting for the other team. Well, I was going to say, John, if you ever had a chance, this would be the time maybe to put in a good word with, with your playing <laughs> partners. That that might give you a, a fighter's chance today. But you, know, you ever hear the term too little, too late? I believe that's my situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, golf is a sport that it is so difficult to – not play for a couple of months and just pick up a club and, and off you go. I know I did that uh, last weekend. I just went out and, and putted for a while and just hit a couple of range balls just to, to swing the club. And actually, you know, the hitting of the golf ball wasn't awful. The driver and the three wood, 
if I may use a term from our prestigious PGA champion, Phil Mickelson, I was hitting a couple of bombs and hellacious seeds. I'm happy to report the, the seven iron and the wedge got a little Yankee pull a little bit to the left, but it wasn't awful for the first time. But John, my putting, I, I go in and out of the yips and man, they were back again. And I'm really? trying every angle to try to put my hand on the club. It, it's really frustrating. I know a lot of people have quit the game because of, of shanks and yeah. irons and, and the yips and putting. So I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board. I don't know if you have a piece of advice where to start, but I do for anything at this time. I really do, Darren. And, and because a lot of it is you're not, I say, you, you call it the yips. Chances are you just are so unfamiliar with putting right now on a real green with a real hole in it that there's a lot, you know, your head's got all kinds of things going on. And this is honest to God truth. Go to a putting green, set yourself out about 10 feet and start hitting a bunch of putts with your eyes closed. And you'll suddenly get the sensation of the club swinging and the club striking the ball and you're imparting a roll on the ball mm -hmm. and the other stuff will go away. You're not going to be watching your hands and seeing what direction the club is moving inside out, outside in, straight through. There's a lot of stuff you can declutter your mind by doing that. Uh, that would be my, you know, not having watched you yep. putt in a while. Um, that would be my advice because you're not a bad putter. Uh, there are certain people who are just horrible at putting and they continue to get worse the more they think about it. Your situation is just unfamiliarity. So I, that would be my advice right there, buddy, or anybody else that struggles with that. Um, you're getting too caught up in what your putting stroke looks like and what's happening visually when you putt as opposed to just what you're trying to do, which is roll a ball towards a hole. Now, I did something similar for about five minutes. I just started staring at the ball, and I would not follow the ball going to the hole. I kept oh, okay. Waiting. I, I kept waiting yeah. for the sound of the ball going in, and it yeah. never did. So I like, stood there for two minutes at a time waiting. So that didn't necessarily work out for good. But it's just like a little, a little tick. It's like a little jerk just yeah. at the last second. And it That's because you're worried about the the result versus the process. So it, I'm serious. Just close your eyes. Um, or the other one they do is stare at the hole, but I still think that's a little bit too process oriented. So I'm um, never comfortable with that. Yeah. I, I, what it does do, it takes out that anxiety and, and the worry that you have about what, where, where the club's coming from. Am I taking it back too far? Am I taking it back far enough? All of these things that you get, despite trying to just stare at the ball you can see all this other movement going on so that's what that addresses i think by closing your eyes you kill two birds with one stone yeah in terms of so, putting, just yeah. just generally speaking john since yeah. we started down this road i know everybody does it a little differently i mean jack nicholas was bent way over right you know ben crenshaw like his arms seem pretty stiff i mean he had a beautiful swing in terms of yep. just being over the golf ball, should your arms be fairly straight? I mean, should you be more upright with your body to allow your arms to extend? Or does that cause maybe more yeah. issues in trying to take the club straight back, straight forward? So I, I'm just looking for kind of yeah. what would be a good place to start yeah. for the average golfer. Yeah, I know the posture, as you, as you just mentioned there, I mean, you look at like uh, Keegan Bradley. I mean, it makes your back hurt. It's like Michelle Wee and him. <laughs> They're so bent over. But there's one commonality you'll see among anybody that knows how to putt. Their eyes are over the ball. Okay? So if you stand over the ball 
take another golf ball, set up like you're going to putt, take another golf ball, put it to your nose and drop it or your eyes, the bridge of your nose, and it should hit the ball you're trying to hit. Okay. And that, without that position, there's very few putters. Uh, Justin Leonard was one that I think had his eyes pretty well inside and uh, Zach Johnson too, although he uses a Seymour putter, which is another issue altogether. But that's the one thing, that's the key to success of putting. How you get into that position then will determine how, and the length of your putter will determine what position your arms are in. I think it ideally, given the fact that you have to get your eyes over the ball, it's really hard to have your arms hang straight down. Mm-hmm. No matter, so there's always going to be a little bit of a bend, unless you're doing a, an elongated putter. A I don't shamble. call it a belly putter. It, what's that? Yeah, exactly. It used to be called the anchored putter. It's not anymore, uh, or the belly putter. But that's the key right there. The other stuff uh, really doesn't matter necessarily, because like you said, uh, you look at Crenshaw. You know the way he putted versus Nicholas and these guys. They look totally different, but there are some common things, mm-hmm. and the most common thing, where their eyes are uh, when they set up to the ball. So just to recap, when you said you put the ball at your nose and drop it, where should the ball yeah. hit again? It should hit the ball that you're getting ready to putt. Okay. So just to ensure your eyes are – I mean, ideally put on the bridge of your nose between your eyes and drop it, and it should hit somewhere on that ball. I mean, not I, I, you know, not exactly right on the – the midpoint necessarily, but it should make contact with the ball you're, you're wanting to putt. Which is easier and which is more enjoyable fixing someone's golf swing or fixing the hole in the wall you were talking about? You know what? I'm better at fixing someone's golf swing. Um, and these holes, I don't want to give the idea that they were the size of footballs or something. I mean, they're, they're rather small and there's, um, you know, there's just, there's things that happen to your house over time that you and your cohabitant could really care less about. Um, and that yet when you look at it from the eyes that someone's going to buy the house, it's like, yeah, they're probably not going to like that. So <laughs> I've, I, you know, and I've heard this from other people, you end with all this whole process that's been going on for a month or so. And you look at it, it's like, maybe I don't want to leave after all. This is that's a right. really nice place. Yeah. So, so we can eliminate from the possibility that the hole in the wall is not from Firestone losing a beer pong game or something like that. Do you honestly think I would have Tim Firestone into my house? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess I got my answer. I look at Tim as maybe an outside guest, Darren. (laughs) And and please don't give him my address in Hilton Head. I know you're going to get it, but there's no reason for Tim Firestone to have my address. Oh, I love it. I love it. You know, one so thing I, that- I do have a bit of a story for you. When you were talking yeah. about you going out, not having hit balls in a while. So when I was in Florida in January, I was, uh, we stayed with some friends of ours and they're members at a very high end club down there. I won't mention it to protect, <laughs> to protect the club. The fact that they allowed me to play there. Um, I had not hit a ball since probably September, October, as you know, we were so busy last year. So I go to the driving range and this is the day before I was even going to play. So I just went out there and I have some common friends who are members there. So I went out and uh, had lunch with them and went out to the range and started swinging at it. And this is the truth. So I don't, do you have an, uh, an Apple watch? I do not, but I know what they are. Okay. 
So Melissa bought me one for Christmas. So I had it on while I was flailing at the ball with like a seven or eight iron. And so this, it starts an alarm on my watch and I look down and it said, it appears you've taken a serious fall. Should I alert the authorities? (laughs) Not only do I have my friends laughing at me, my watch is giving me crap about my golf swing. So I no longer wear my watch when I play golf, but that's an, that is a true story there. So everybody's a critic. I thought Siri was maybe going to try to fix your golf swing or something. That's even better. No, no they were ready to call 911 is what it was fixing to do. So anyway. so what happens if your blood pressure starts to boil if you're having a bad round? Is the watch going to go it, off again? Yeah, no, it doesn't. It actually monitors your um, your heart rate, but not your blood pressure. So I'm, I'm in good shape. Wow, between the range finders and Apple it's hard, watches hard, yeah. and all that You're stuff. Right. I mean, yeah. t- technology is everywhere. It, you know, it, it, and I, I was telling that story to be halfway funny, but it's true. There's way too much uh, feedback from different things when you're, you're playing golf, whether you know, you're worried about your the exit velocity and the spin rate and this and that and the apex. I just really, if, now that I embark on a whole new, lifestyle of trying to play golf for enjoyment i my number one goal there is just to clear my head out and yeah uh, i don't need any advice from anyone i don't need some 18 handicap playing with me telling me what i'm doing wrong <laughs> uh, <laughs> which really is enjoyable i love that you know when it happens and my idea is not to tell anybody at my new club that i was at one, one time a golf professional which will take some pressure off of me so i'm just looking to maybe enjoy golf I would alter maybe one thing you said. If the yeah. friends offer a little advice today, maybe you should take that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, as long as it doesn't have to do with golf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mick Ultra Golf Show on WSBT Radio. John and Darren with you. I think you answered the next thing I was going to ask you. Is mm-hmm. there any chance down the road just for something to do, you might get back into teaching golf swing? You know, I, I don't plan on on uh, working, Darren, but I think everybody says that when they retire. And I know Melissa said the same thing, and she's substantially younger than me. So I know she's going to probably have the urge to work somewhere part-time. And, and, yeah, ultimately, if I were to do something, that's probably what it would be. Although I'll say this, that um, a lot of the northern golf pros talk about, well, when I retire, I'm going to retire and I'm going to go to Florida and teach. Well, when I was down there in January, I talked to a number of the pros I ran into and uh, I told them the same thing. I said, well, where are those jobs that all these guys are talking about? And, and they're like, you, if you find one, you tell me. They aren't down here. And I think the assumption is that, you know, let's say I'm in South Bend, I'm going to retire to the Miami area. I'll just go to a golf course and teach. Well, I can't imagine somebody coming to the Warren course when I was there and saying, Hey, I'm from Florida. I'm going to come up here in the summertime. Can I teach? Can you, I'm like, you know, that's how we make our living. There's no way I'd let somebody encroach upon, you know, uh, Cody, Greg, or, or Brian, their, their ability to make money or myself. And it's the same thing that's true down there. So here would be the situation I would think. Um, I, you know, if I get to know some of the pros, I already know some of them in the area and they need some help with a clinic or something like that. I could always do that. And there are times of the year when I'm sure that things are 
you know, maybe their pros go somewhere in the, in the heat of the summer, somewhere else, uh, and, and maybe work a little farther north. Only as kind of a fill-in type of thing, because I just, it's either all or nothing. You probably would have to commit to a full-time job as a, a teaching uh, as an instructor at a specific golf course. Uh, so I don't know. I just don't know the landscape enough there. And I'd be open to it at one point. But I think the worst thing I could do is, you know, once you finally quit yeah. work, is it move, try to change your lifestyle and all of a sudden find a job that becomes an obligation. Yeah. And and I, I think that's the one part of retirement so far. And I'm only you know, a few weeks into it. There are no obligations per se. I don't care what your job is. It's always on the back of your mind about what you need to do and I should be doing this. And that's the part that's really been nice, not having that on a daily or hourly basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and probably the worst thing anybody could do is be hire, hire me to work in their golf operations somehow, because you know, I just couldn't keep my mouth shut, I'm sure. <laughs> so I probably would have a very short tenure as a whatever, you know, working in the shop or anything else. So so I don't know. We'll see. I will keep you updated because I plan on phoning in and uh, talking to you guys occasionally anyway, yeah. once I'm down there. Well, you are. My, well, I had to ask because you are my golf coach. So I, I know we can do I, that from a video standpoint. You know, I, I give a number of lessons to people all over the country that I've taught. So bear that in mind. Okay. Well, after this pandemic, I don't know if I ever want to use Zoom or anything ever again. But <laughs> yeah, you're probably, probably right. It's, it's better than nothing. That's for yeah. sure. But my, my one suggestion is don't tell them you have experience cleaning carts. I would stay away from no. that. No, and I'm really good at that too, but I don't want the word to get out. <laughs> yeah. I, I, God. Okay, so that was a, another thing last week when it hit 93 degrees. All I could think was, man, I'm glad I retired. Otherwise, you know what I'd be doing right now? Uh, hose on the cart and then yourself, probably. Yeah, exactly right, man. You're right. Let, let me ask this. And I know this could turn into a five-part documentary. And I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. But just generally speaking, just totally generally speaking, yeah. from a swing standpoint, I will use myself as the guinea pig, as I normally do. But when yeah. I went, went out the other day for the first time and just hit a few balls, like I said, the driver and the three-wood, man, I was hitting them straight as an arrow. And they were flying like normal. But you put a seven iron in my hand, a wedge in my hand. I was kind of coming over the top and wasn't hitting it square. And it, it was it was a challenge. Yep. Why would that be the case? Shouldn't your golf swing kind of be I mean, not similar for those particular shots? How can two different clubs in your hand be so dramatically different in the results? Well, I, I, it's a great question because one would think that you – put the same swing on it with your wedge as you do with your driver and no it's a longer club or a shorter club it has a different angle of approach so here's would be my my take from that Darren so when you have a three wood or driver you're not really target oriented right you're just trying to hit it straight I guess is the word yeah you know you got this 150 yard wide driving range with driver you're just like I want to hit it out there into quote the fairway so you're swinging it and you're you're trusting the club and you're swinging it so you get a wedge you get a wedge in your hand and you're looking at a 120 yard practice green out there and you're trying to hit the pin and you're doing so all of a sudden your hands get involved because i got to steer this thing and make sure i hit it precisely to hit 
the middle of that green. And all of a sudden, you quit swinging the club and you start hitting the ball or trying to hit the ball. And you quit turning your body and you quit letting your arms swing. And I see it all the time and I have the same issue. You got to just take that out of your mind and just concentrate on feeling your arms swing, uh, feel the weight of the club head. Watch your tempo because it's also really hard to get fast with a driver just because of the length of your swing. You can do it, but you have more of a sense of languid kind of flowing swing with a longer club and you get a wedge in your hand and it becomes choppy. You kind of chop at it. And then when you do that, you say, oh, well, maybe I'm coming over the top. So you shorten your swing or you take the club more outside <laughs> yep. before you know it you are not swinging the club anymore. And that's what comes from the target clubs. And um, I, I know a lot of people will, you know, they always talk about Watson and he did it at the senior open. He takes like a two iron or three iron. And that's the first club he starts with. Huh. Uh, because with that, he knows he can't get fast. He can't do this and that. And that sets his tempo for his whole practice session. Um, it's, it's interesting. I'm not so sure I would do it with a driver, but I'd take a longer iron something that you know in your head you can't get fast with. Maybe the driver is the way to go, but try to carry over that swinging sensation that you feel from your, your arms, not your hands, your arms swinging. And, and if you can translate that and transfer that into your shorter clubs, and then you're there. Because you know, they people say it's easier to hit a wedge than it is a driver, and it is. It's got more loft, which is more forgiving. It's a shorter club, which is more forgiving. There's no reason you should be able to nail your driver and not be able to do the same with your sandwich, but invariably that's what happens. Hmm. It's so funny you, you told that story, John, about Watson, because now the way I was told isn't necessarily the best way, but I think uh -huh. a lot of people fall into my category. But when I was learning as a kid, we were always taught to start with a wedge and work your right. way up to the driver and well tom watson's won a few more majors than i yeah. have so i will obviously yeah. bow to his philosophy but that's interesting i think a majority of people were told just the opposite well and they were and i'm not saying that's bad advice necessarily but watson's logic is if i can take this club which is probably arguably the hardest club in my bag to hit and i can make some swings here and start hitting that really well i don't have to worry about the other clubs I don't have to worry about how I'm swinging it today. So that could be, be dangerous if you really can't hit your three iron and probably shouldn't be carrying one. You could be at the range all day saying, boy, if I could just get this one dialed in. I'll be fine with the others. You have to be careful in that regard. Um, but it's basically saying, you know, taking a driver off the deck, say, you know, you got a plus three guy, hits a driver off the deck, 290 dead straight and say, I'm good. Nothing's going to be harder than that shot today. And I hit that. So it's as much psychological, I think, as it is physical, that approach. It actually makes a lot of sense, but it just goes against everything I've. Oh, it does. I know. Through the years. Right. And right. It, it's funny, you listening to you talk about, you know, the different between the driver and, and the wedge and all that. Yeah. I've been doing this for 35, 38 years. I should be beyond this, right? Shouldn't this be just like one <laughs> hat? Good grief. <laughs> no, that is the thing about golf. It's a, it's a, a relearn. It's a sport that's relearned daily. And that's, that's probably not a good thing, but it's so true. Yeah. It's, it's no different. And I, I, I know I told you and Timmy this during the senior open, 
there's nothing better than standing up on the range before the rounds, yeah. before the practice rounds, and hearing Fred Funk call over David Tom and say, David, watch this. I think I figured this out. <laughs> you got guys that are they're in their 60s, and they're still trying to, quote, figure it out, and they think they got it. And that happens on a daily basis. I think it's great. I really do. It was really refreshing to hear. With all the things we talked about, it still come down, comes down to one thing. The thing between your ears gets in the way. Yeah, and that's, it's so true. And that's it's why so it's true. interesting what Mickelson did using yoga and all these mental yeah. things, just trying to eliminate himself from being yeah. a problem. And it, it worked pretty well in the PGA Championship. He sure did. Yeah. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but he put out a video earlier this week and all you see, he's holding the phone, taping the video. He's in the <laughs> golf cart driving. You see his clubs on the back. He's like, yeah, I'm just on my way to the club, you know, me and Mr. Wanamaker. And he's got the Wanamaker trophy. <laughs> sitting ah, that's funny. And he goes, this is just your daily reminder that I won the PGA championship. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's great. Yeah, no. <laughs> he's, he's good for golf, and I figured in the final round of the PGA, it was going to turn into more about Phil walking to each shot than following yeah. the guys in third, fourth, and fifth place. I mean, I get it. If you're not a Phil fan, I'm sure it was kind of frustrating, but that wasn't uh, a normal story. So I kind of get the announcers wanting to kind of continue to build up one of the most unique stories we've seen in a long time. Oh. I don't think any, regardless of what you feel about the guy, I mean, that was, uh, uh, th that's what they should have been doing. I mean, that was captivating. I think not, I was shocked as anyone that he didn't choke, basically. You know, you were waiting for it to happen. I was. You were waiting for him to do something stupid. And you could just tell by his demeanor, the pace of his walking, the look on his face, that he was completely in control. And, that was a different, a totally different player. As a matter of fact, I think he won over. Maybe if there were some people, detractors of his, I think he may have won over a few based on the performance that he pulled off there. If you would have made a bet with Tim before the tournament and you were <laughs> given a dollar for every time Fickleson, Mickelson gave the thumbs up sign to a fan, you would have paid for your house in South Carolina already. Yeah, yeah that's true. I And that's the part that kind of puzzled me because – I think he was trying – I think he was able to detach himself yes. from what those outward gestures were that he wasn't really interacting with the fans. He was going through some kind of moot uh, motion without becoming emotionally involved in the fans because that is, was his problem in the past. He got so interested in pleasing them and showing them what he can do that he completely got away from his game. So – uh, I thought that was interesting that he could still appear somewhat outwardly engaged when I don't think inwardly he was at all. Yeah. I just wish after winning the PGA, he would have put out a video just saying, hey, Tiger, hope you're doing well. <laughs> I want to get you back out here. And, hey, come get some of this. That would have been no, I don't. I, I just – I think that would have been in really poor taste. You think so? Uh, I think Tiger would have laughed. Uh, given his physical condition, I think it's almost – that would be crossing the line a little bit. I don't know. All right. I don't know. <laughs> we'll take a break. We'll come back. U.S. Open is next week. You're listening to the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. Welcome back to the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. John Foster also with me. Tim Firestone on assignment this week. 
One of the best weeks of the golf season is coming up next week as the U.S. Open will take place. Father's Day weekend, and it's back in Torrey Pines out in the San Diego, California area. And, John, you've played a lot of great golf courses out in California. Is Torrey Pines on the list? It's not. I, uh, I missed that one for some reason. So um, I, I feel like I have, based on all the events I've watched over the years, uh, being played there. But, no, I haven't had the pleasure. But I think there wasn't there a recent survey or ranking of of golf courses. And I think your old golf course was right up there with the Torrey Pines. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it was ahead of Torrey Pines as far as golf courses you can play, because I think everyone's pretty well aware it. Torrey Pines is a public golf course. So anyone can play it if you can get a tee time. Uh, but we were ranked, uh, I think it was the top 100 golf courses that one can play in Canada. United States, Caribbean, and Mexico, and we were 70th on that list, and uh, Torrey Pines, I believe, was like 82nd or something, so that's huh? pretty good company. How about yeah. that? That's pretty impressive, yeah. to say the yeah. least. Well, it's going to be, obviously, extremely difficult compared to what we normally see on a PGA Tour event when the USGA gets a hold of it. It's going to be Probably a pretty brutal test. And, you know, we just talked about Mickelson. He had the unfortunate 72nd hole at Torrey Pines over a decade ago where he had the lead in the U.S. Open and hit that ball, I think, to the left of Saturn on the 72nd yeah. hole. He hit the tent where there were, were people and, and made double bogey. I think Jeff Ogilvie kind of came in and, and stole that championship. Whatever happened to Jeff Ogilvie? by the way, but I, I think this is going to be one of those weeks, John, where it's going to be tough on these golfers mentally. They're going to have to deal with the rough. And my goodness, if the wind gets blowing there, I'm, I'm kind of scared to think about what that golf course could be. Yeah. Um, you know, and by the way, the Ogilvy is in the golf course design. Uh, now I don't know if he still plays. I I've not seen him play in any events, but, Actually, Darius Oliver, who's um, a publisher of Planet Golf. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the publications. Uh, it's a well-known golf book that he does like every five years or so. But he's also Australian. Him and Jeff are doing golf course design down in the south. Uh, the um, Well, I guess it would be Australia, New Zealand. I don't know what portion of the world one refers to that as. But anyway, and in the Far East as well, they do a number of courses there. Uh, but getting back to your point um yeah they can you know tory's got the the type of grasses on it the kakuya grass the stuff that's off the fairway that can get really nasty if you allow it to grow and i know they're going to do that uh this week and the greens are such that they can just get crazy with the speeds on the green so um the usga even though they've adopted this kinder gentler approach to championships and a little bit more of a fair approach i think that it's going to be brutal because i think the length there isn't it in excess of 7500 yards they're going to play it at yeah so hypothetically speaking let's use the pga championship as kind of a premise for this question but we saw phil mickelson and brooks kepka play that golf course down in south carolina pretty well there was a lot of obstacles there were a lot of challenges and, you know, the scores were pretty decent. If they, if those two guys took their game to Warren at the U.S. Senior Open setup, 
how good do you think they would have shot at Warren? Putting the tees all the way back, put the green wherever you want it on the stint meter. What do you think they would have shot in the basic U.S. Senior Open conditions at Warren? And how much yeah, stricker, well, the, how much stricker shot? You know, I'm not so sure it'd be a whole lot different what Steve shot because if you look at the other scores, uh, he was such an outlier that week. Uh, it was 18 under, I believe. I 17, 18 under. I can't even remember now. Uh, we had it to 19 at one point um, because of the soft conditions from the rain that Wednesday. But the last day, there was only I think there were only two guys that broke par. So if that golf course had been the way we had it set up prior to the rain, um, Stricker wouldn't have shot what he did. But I think I'm not so sure they'd done a whole lot better than Steve would have, Darren, just because he was just out of just played out of his mind that week, as you know. Hmm. Yeah, he he was spectacular and. You were standing on the green with him, helping him hold the trophy. So I would have to think that's going to be one of your highlights of your your golf professional career is standing there with one heck of a player who's going to be the Ryder Cup captain for the United States in September. It It's hard not to think about that. And I'm not a big picture guy necessarily, uh, but that's the one picture that I did take from work that I had made um, <laughs> that's going to go up in my new house, I think. Um, but yeah, no, that was... And also to have him be the guy to be standing next to as well. You know, he's such a good example of what golf should be about. He's accomplished so much and he's universally liked. Uh, that's great. As opposed to, I can name a number of uh, other people. I would not have want to have been standing there. With. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, exactly a number. Oh, of I know them. because they would have been rattling off the things they didn't like this week as you guys <laughs> were holding the trophy, <laughs> taking the picture. <laughs> exactly. Oh, well, uh, goodness. Yeah. And you think about the senior PGA up at Harbor Shores. I mean, they've had a couple of winners that don't necessarily move the needle. Now, I don't know if Steve Stricker will ever come back to Warren at some point and maybe play the golf course again just for fun, or, or who knows, maybe there'll be some other opportunity down the right. line. But if it is a one-time deal, it was absolutely as good of a winner as you possibly could have had it just it was the icing on the cake for a perfect yeah. week and a lot of preparation that went into that so having a big name winner it just makes it even feel like it was more worth it than it already was no i i mean we were happy with i i was disappointed and so was matt sealan uh our superintendent in the you know how the scores were really low um the first few days and then it then it firmed up as i said and it got a little bit tougher it wasn't really competitive so from that standpoint i mean i could nitpick all day long but the ultimate result was really good and and yeah we're really happy with that um ironically so they played with senior pga at uh southern hills last week and southern is the golf course that bill warren's father founded um and and they're going to be hosting the pga championship next year in Tulsa at, at, uh, at Southern Hills. So, uh, I've already gotten an invite over there and plan to spend wow. most of the week next year watching the PGA at, uh, at Southern Hills. But, um, I was so hoping that Phil would play in that. I think he committed to that other event after the PGA thinking there's no way I'm going to win this thing. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, and that would have been cool. Cause I think he could easily have won Alex Checa won it. Um, mm. Phil, coming off of that win at the PGA championship and then winning the senior PGA within two weeks, I think would have been a 
phenomenal story, but I understand he had prior commitments. Yeah, and Phil's got the five-year exemption on the PJ Tour and the major, yeah. so his schedule just probably got changed the next five yeah. years. Yeah, I think the people who operate the Tour Champions probably were really bummed out about that. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. John yeah. Foster, Darren Pritchard with you. We'll have more Mick Ultra Golf Show coming up in just a couple of moments on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. Along with John Foster, Darren Pritchett, the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. What a weird week it was at the Memorial, John, last weekend. Jack Nicholas's golf tournament in Dublin, Ohio, near Columbus. It looked like we were going to have a very undramatic final round as John Rahm had a six-shot lead going into the final round, but and I didn't see this, and I'm going by what I've read, but it sounded like after his round on Saturday, the officials from the Memorial came up to him off the green or in a place where all the fans and the TV cameras were and told him that he was going to have to withdraw because he tested positive for COVID-19, which opened the door for the rest of the field to have a chance to win, and Patrick Cantlay in a playoff, defeated Colin Morikawa. I guess it's probably going to be one of those tournaments. You take it, the victory, you run with it, but it it kind of feels like that was John Rahm's tournament to win. But unfortunately, due to the COVID, it didn't work out. But I just wonder if that was the right way to go about it. There's right in front of everybody to tell a guy that he was going to have to withdraw because he tested positive to COVID. I don't mean it had to be secretive, but I just thought that was odd. Well, it was really poorly handled. The, the tour's up for a lot of criticism uh, that's ongoing about that situation. So it's so my understanding they knew mid-round that he tested positive, okay? So you allow him to stay out there among all those fans okay. and all those playing partners, competitors, during that period of time. And then in a very public place where there's still people around, um, where you tell him that he's DQ'd. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that they thought it was the right thing to do. I don't think it was the right thing to do. If they're going to take COVID seriously and a positive test seriously, let's take it seriously and not wait until after the round. So I think there's a lot of egg on the face of the, of the PGA tour for how they handled that and shame on him. He, you know, he chose not to be vaccinated. And if that's uh -huh. the case, then they need to identify that he needs to be tested uh, prior to each round. Uh, if he's going to be out playing and he needs to tell the other competitors, this guy has not been vaccinated and he's, you know, it is what it is. So I, I don't know. I, I think it was poorly handled by the tour. I think Rom screwed up. Um, you know, that's fine if he chooses not to be vaccinated, but then you need to be able, you need to suffer the consequences or be held responsible for those consequences. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. You, you bring up a couple of good points. You know, there's a point where, I believe in, in privacy when it comes to medical things, but right. this is the situation where, and I don't mean to sound archaic or like this is kindergarten, but I almost feel like there should be like a sticker on the golf bag of players that are not vaccinated. It is your choice. Yeah. You don't want to get vaccinated. That's fine. But I think for his playing partners and even to an extent, the spectators, if you see a lime green sticker, just as an example, on the bag, and that symbolizes that he is not vaccinated, maybe when he hits the ball into the rough, you stay further away. If that's the way you feel about 
the particular situation, uh, if you're not scared about it, then hey, you can stand but, around him. But I, I just think there needs to be a way for everyone to know that, hey, this guy is not vaccinated. And at the same time, if you spent all last year not having spectators out on the golf yeah. course to be yeah. safe, then why in the world are you going to not say something in the middle of a round when you find out that one yeah. of your playing partners has tested positive for COVID. If you're not going to pull him off the golf course at that point, then heck, you should have had spectators well, out on the golf course late last year. There's no difference. Yeah, I mean, you you can't have it both ways. And I, there's a lot, of, for instance, to let him play, regardless of identifying him as someone who's not been vaccinated, that puts undue pressure on his uh, playing partners, his competitors. So they don't need to have to worry about whether you know, they should come close to this guy or not. So I think that's a non-starter. Uh, I know there's a lot of people, you know, politically, this has so sure. many ramifications, but it's no longer a personal issue. You mentioned privacy. That's great. If it's, if it's, you have cancer and you don't want anybody to know you have cancer, that's great because it's not contagious. This is contagious. And if it was serious enough to ban crowds last year, it's serious enough not to let anybody play. Uh, if they have not taken taken precautions that they will not infect other people, whether that's testing, which they did last year during the uh, events with no spectators, and the players were comfortable with that. They were comfortable. Their playing companion was tested. He was he was okay. But and or I don't know if the tour could mandate a policy of vaccination or not. A lot of workplaces are doing that now. Um, I, I know that as a not-for-profit private enterprise, they could do it. Uh, public enterprises, they may have some issues with, and we'll see coming up this fall, these universities, state universities that have mandated, I know Notre Dame has mandated all staff and faculty be uh, vaccinated. They're a private institution, so they're probably less susceptible yep. to any blowback on that. So I just think that it shouldn't be John Rahm's option. That's not his decision. He made a decision. Yes. And if there are negative consequences of that decision, he needs to, uh, to you know, to suffer that. So, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Hey, real quick, what did you think about Pepperdine winning the men's college golf championship when they were the number two seed going into the quarterfinals? I'm like, really? Huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll see how they do. Or maybe they were the three seed, one of the two. But, man, right. they had to go through some – really good golf teams to win that championship on what I thought was a pretty fun golf course. Yeah. I, that <clears throat> I talked to Handrigan after our, our coach, after um, they played at Carson and he was talking about how hard Carson was and that it had, they advanced uh, that it would have been a lot easier uh, the, the next course they would be playing. So, but Pepperdine traditionally has really good golf teams. Um, can you imagine I'm going to Pepperdine to play golf. So it's, it's in Malibu. So on the days I'm not practicing, it'd be really hard to go to school. And especially if they do remote learning, there's no reason you can't get near a beach with Wi-Fi, you know? So I just think that's just a different world. We're worrying about convincing kids that we've got an indoor heated facility when it's 20 degrees below zero up here. And the Pepperdine coach is saying, by the way, Malibu Beach is right here. So good luck, Handrigan, trying to recruit against those guys. Well, the good news is kids looking at Notre Dame can, again, look at Illinois, the northern school that continues to yeah. pop up in the NCAA tournament 13 straight years. They haven't won the title. They got to the quarterfinals again this year and lost a really tight 
match play setting against yeah. Oklahoma, but Illinois gives schools like Notre Dame a lot of hope. Well, and we whipped up on them, you know, a week before the uh, regional championship, two weeks before, you know, we beat Illinois soundly. So yeah. we're not losing anybody. Uh, everybody's coming back this year. And uh, John, actually, I spoke with him yesterday and he's out on the recruiting trail because as of June 1, uh, the coaches at Notre Dame were all cleared to go recruiting. I, I ran into Mike Bray on a recent trip um, at an airport, and Mike was uh, chomping at the bit because on June 1, he was able to start recruiting again. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, a lot of big things ahead, hopefully, for Notre Dame golf. And, boy, I wish I was good enough to play college golf like that. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, we will take our final timeout. John and Darren with you, the Mick Ultra Golf Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. Welcome back to the Mick Ultra Show on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. John Foster, Darren Pritchett with you. A reminder, coming up tonight, more South Bend Cubs baseball taking on the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, the Brewers affiliate. And we'll have the pregame show at 645, first pitch comes your way at 705 from four Winsfield in downtown South Bend. Well, Tim Firestone is not with us this week, but we can promote the website at Blackthorn Golf Club. It is blackthorngolf.com. You can get all the information about Blackthorn. You can get your tee times at Blackthorn by going to blackthorngolf.com. John, good to be with you. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Darren. All right, buddy. Thank you. For John Foster, I'm Darren Pritch of the Golf Show, presented by Michelob Ultra on WSBT South Bend. Thanks for listening. This has been the Mick Ultra Golf Show, presented by Michelob Ultra, locally distributed by United Beverage of South Bend. Michelob Ultra, superior light beer. Don't compromise. Also sponsored by Bill's Heating of Goshen since 1951. For all your heating, cooling, and plumbing. Also by Pet Refuge, Lechleitner Door, Sherwood Tire, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, your local Edward Jones financial advisors. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. And OSMC, the Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Center. This has been the Mick Ultra Golf Show, heard every Saturday morning at 8 on Sports Radio 961 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 